This, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to Broken Oath Podcast. This is the introduction before the introduction. We felt we should put this in because... Essentially, we're talking about testosterone, its performance-enhancing effects, arguably um, how significant those performance-enhancing effects, and who's taking it and who isn't. And potentially, I think this will be the most controversial episode and we've <laughs> we've gone out of our way to have a few controversial episodes um but this is potentially the most controversial episode and we just wanted to stick a little bit of context on it before we went in into the full episode for you and yeah lewin is certainly saying something there because this is the podcast that saw matthew pinson rode out of his seat in our fantasy eight by Conan, who was then removed by Beowulf because Conan failed a PED test. Um, it is the article that tweaked the tale of uh, British rowing and tickled the tummy of the mighty, dreaded, spindly killer fish or whatever it is in Blackadder than when he does that riff. Um, essentially, we had a chat with a, a very nice uh, and personable gentleman called Mark Lewis, who um, has a very successful YouTube channel, which the links are down below. Uh, Mark is a successful endurance athlete who throws himself into all kinds of physical challenges. I believe, Lou, and you came across him when he was doing his Can I Row As Fast As Steve Redgrave uh, challenge. And the reason why Mark is interesting is he uses testosterone replacement therapy. Now, um, well, I, I, I'd say, to be honest, you should check out his his channel because he's actually interesting for lots and lots of he's interesting reasons. across the board but one of the reasons but, yeah. um i mean it, one of the reasons is that he's very open about the fact that he uses testosterone replacement therapy as uh, a man who's not quite as young as he used to be and um sort of both myself and aaron have been quite frankly right in our opinions about the use of performance enhancing substances in sport and we're against it and that's fine but one thing when i when i sort of saw mark who was very open about his use of trt um saying this is that i realized i'd never spoken to anyone who'd used such compounds in 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 a sporting or other com context or i'd never knowingly spoken to, to anyone about this and i didn't think that that was particularly sensible i thought that kind of meant i was spouting off from a position of ignorance and so we asked mark who's got a very successful channel on to our much much smaller channel have a bit of a chat about it um and i'm hoping that this will you know I'm, I'm hoping that all our listeners many of whom probably share our opinions of you know kind of doping etc in sport will give mark the chance to explain where he's coming from what he uses and why he used that, even though some of the things he says are debatable and controversial, um, I think he makes a very, very good case for what he says. 
And I think what he says is very, very thought-provoking for the future of particularly veteran and masters sport in this country and how it might change over the next five to 10 years. Um, and I think that Mark really did do something of a service by giving us an insight into those issues. Yeah, I'd agree with that. Um, as Mark points out, if you listen to the podcast, Britain is probably 10 to 15 years behind where the rest of the world is with regards to hormone replacement therapies in, in older men and um, older women. Um, having talked to um, some of the uh, my parents' generation about those kind of things, especially the women, how difficult it was for them. And his feeling that that when we start to catch up, it's going to impact on those those older categories or those later life categories is an issue we're going to have to confront sooner rather than later if we don't want to have another Bradley Wiggins, TUE, Jiffy Bag, Richard Freeman moment um, at a Masters regatta near you soon. Indeed. Take it away. Yeah, yeah, I just wanted to uh, go and be a lifeguard. Was that was that kind of like the full Baywatch influence? Okay, well, I'll, I'll tell you literally what it is. This is ridiculous, but um, this is 1989, 1990. Uh, I did my GCSEs, so I was the second year to do GCSEs after they got rid of O-levels. Mm -hmm. So they hadn't really figured out what... And basically, GCSEs back then were still O-levels. There was no yeah. coursework, you just did the exams. So I did the exams. I don't know what I got. I've never opened the envelope. I went back to sixth form to do A-levels, so I didn't know what else I was going to do. I was a... I was already a lifeguard at the time. And our first, the first lesson of A-levels, I was doing geography, business studies, and something else, can't remember. The very first lesson geography was play, uh, tectonic plates. And I remember getting to the end of that class and thought, I will never need to know about tectonic plates. If I, if, if I never hear any more about them, it won't matter. So I went home at lunchtime and never went back. And uh, my mum said, well, you, you can't just do nothing. I said, well, A, I'm going to go and ask the pool where I work as a lifeguard to give me a full-time job, um, because that did seem quite Baywatchy at the time. Um, and B, I'll, I'll join the Navy uh, and, and fly fast jets, because I had a kind of Top Gun thing going on. He says in his Talk to Me Goose Yeah, Talk to Me Goose T-shirt. I tried to join the Navy, which basically consisted of going to the Navy and saying, I want to be a pilot. And at the time, I don't know if they had a short of pilots or something, but they said, okay. They sent me on a character and leadership course, which basically consisted of going to the woods with a bunch of other idiots of my age. We were made to run around the woods um, and do sort of survival things. And the only thing I can remember from it, actually two things, we had to give a presentation to see if we were leadership material. So I gave a presentation. I, I'm, as I'm remembering it, I'm quite impressed. I gave a presentation on how I thought there should be, we had the green cross code right back then. As a lifeguard, I invented the blue cross code, which was the green cross code around water. And I don't remember how it went down, but it was okay. It was better than the guy after me who got up at the lectern I don't know what he was taught. I think he did a presentation on survival tactics to people that are 
experienced members of the armed forces. So all I can remember is him talking about how he always carried a condom to fill up with water in case he was... Um, the only thing I remember for that is that somebody, one of the, the trainers, threw a traffic cone at him during his presentation, which was a signal to get off and you're done. And, uh, and then had a meeting with the local Navy people. They even sent me on a... I flew a plane. I flew... A, I went... I went and flew a plane, like a Cessna thing. And I'll tell you what, I'll tell you how boring it was. I got home and I immediately went out on my little 125 motorbike because flying a plane, I'm sure a fast jet, a bit different, but flying a regular plane, like a Cessna, is boring. It, you've got no sense of speed. There's no, you're not allowed to do loops and stuff. I literally had so much <laughs> adrenaline from thinking it was going to be amazing. And I went home and just had to ride my motorbike really fast from down the road to just try and get some sort of top gunness out of me. The Navy then called me in a few weeks later and said, your, your thigh length is too long. If you eject from a fast jet, you'll take your kneecaps off. And I said, well, hang on a minute. I said, Tony Robbins was in Top Gun uh, and he's at least 6'4", six, 6'5". Six, and they said, what? They said, all you can do is fly helicopters because you're fit in a helicopter. And that's really an important role. Like Prince Andrew did it. And like, it's, you know, you should be pleased that we can give you this opportunity. And I said, that's pants. I don't want to fly a helicopter. Well, look how it turned out for Prince Andrew. I mean, he hasn't... <laughs> exactly. I, He's hardly I covered be, himself in glory. In simple terms, I left school to be Tom Cruise and discovered I was too tall. That, that's, that's it in a nutshell. The mythology of pilots, with all due respect, is like they're the best of the best and they have degrees in astrophysics and aeronautics and they go through this rigorous process and you basically went, hi, I've just left school. Can I fly a fast jet, please? And they went, yeah, all right then. Yeah, it was. Yeah. I was in a slight state of shock the whole way through it. The thing is, I've got this like really carefully written out introduction that's like leaders into the whole topic. But this whole thing has just been absolute gold. I'm just, I'm just going to say, so like, let, let's just dive in. I mean, so all of that has pretty much got Mark Lewis, how old you are, who you are as a person, what your history is. I mean, the only thing I've really got to ask you is like, whereabouts are you based? And what do you currently do for fun? And what is your job? So 48. Um... Reading, half hour outside of London. And if you're international, not Reading, half hour outside of Pennsylvania. Well, well what am I doing? I am currently, I'm still a financial advisor. So basically, after being rejected by the Navy and discovering that um, lifeguards don't earn enough money to raise children, I had, a, I had a kid. My daughter was born when I was about 20, 21, something like that, a long time ago. Uh, she's grown now and has her own daughter. Um, I didn't have enough money as a lifeguard to, 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 um, <laughs> to raise that human being. I opened the paper and, and just went for the first job that, that offered more money than a lifeguard. Back in the 90s, that was selling life insurance. Um, I don't sell life insurance door-to-door -door anymore, but the industry is not that dissimilar, whatever part of it you work in. So that's what I do formally. And the other half is, is YouTube. Uh, and that, that, will, that will be all I do going forward. Um, and at the moment, it's probably half and half. Our social media game isn't what we might call on point. It's more kind of made up on the spur of the moment and isn't really very yeah. 
planned or strategized. So you have what we like to call a, a, a level of social media awesomeness. Could you just fill in a little bit more about what you're actually doing on social media? I can't. I should say my wife has just bought me a coffee and she heard you say social media awesomeness and has now left. Um, I don't know if she's laughing or scowling, but I kind of got to a point where I thought I need to embrace the things about YouTube and social media in general that up until that point I had thought were daft and silly and um, and and not for me. So, for example, I didn't have an Instagram account for ages. My kids were saying to me, you have, you have an Instagram account? How did people DM you and DM what was even that? And then there came a point where I thought, this is stupid. I do need to have an Instagram account. So I, I start one. Now it's on whatever, 7,000 people and stuff, which I, compared to some people, clearly is not huge numbers. But I remember thinking, well, I don't know who will be on my Instagram. Who's going who's gonna to be my first person? Because there's like my kids. So I've got three Instagram followers on day one and then thought, I'm done. Who's going to be number four? And now it's obviously thousands of people. So I just embrace that. And once you embrace it as, a, as an older person with an experience of running a business and but it doesn't matter, just the, just the naive ego that thinks I can just allows me to just think well I'll I will so I set up a process of making sure I update Instagram every day and I respond to a certain percentage of DMs to make sure everyone feels connected and basically I treat it like a, I plan it the way I would plan anything in my other more formal life essentially you're in like the fitness environment tell us a bit more about what the channel is about the, the channel now, it has matured into, let me, let me describe it this way. It is based around the idea that most people doing whatever it is they do, um, whether it's simply living their life or doing something in particular, running, fitness, their, their, their weight, whatever it is about them, most people don't put much effort in. That is across the board. They're too busy. They're, they're, they're ignorant of how to put the effort in. They, they don't care. They might just enjoy doing what they're doing. There's nothing wrong with I'm not saying that, that is wrong. It's just the fact most people don't. So if you want to start running or lose weight or start cycling or start rowing or whatever it might be, to get to a point where you are above average and enjoying the fact that you are a bit better than most people, which is an enjoyable feeling, that many people never have in their life. Many people, most people go through life. And if you say to them at the age of 48, what are you better than normal at? Most people would have to think a bit and they might say, oh, my job. They're not, they're not better than normal at something that, that really sparks a, a pride in them. Um, and I am in loads of things for no reason other than I thought, oh, well, I'll do that and, and become better than normal at. So whether it's cycling or or, or, or running or rowing or obstacle force racing or, or high rocks competitions, whatever it is I've tried to have a go at, I've just got myself to a bit better than average. So, for example, that I did a duathlon at the weekend. I can turn up at the duathlon. I can, I can compete. I didn't do great. I think I was 40th out of 160. But there were more people behind me than in front of me. Uh, so I can go home feeling like I did all right at that. I did okay. And too often, people are sold the idea that they need to be the best version of themselves. No, you don't. I'm not the best runner I could be. Not a million miles away. I don't do enough running to be the best runner I could be. But I'm better than most runners. And once you can accept that that is a cool place to live in, 
it's just enjoyable. I have so many people message me and say, I used to get so fixated on trying to be the best in the thing I was doing that I didn't bother doing it. And now I've realized that actually I don't need to be the best. I'm, I'm 40. I've got three kids and a mortgage. There's more to life than being the best triathlete or whatever. I know I'm better than most and I'm completely content with that. That that's really what the message is from the channel. It's um, it's just get off your bum, go and do something, um, put in some time and some effort, and to achieve above average status is is fun. It's enjoyable. It's it's good. It's nice to look at a local 10k you just did with 100 runners and you came 49, and there was 51 people slower than you. That's a nice feeling. Yeah, people people sometimes shy away from competition. Say, oh no, just compete against yourself. If you can live like that, that's great. But for that isn't really life. Life is, to a certain extent, a degree of competition. We aren't all living the same. Everyone is in competition with somebody else for something. And that, that and, and sport is nothing but a substitute for what existed before sport, which was competing and killing each other. I mean, that, that's why we have sport. Before sport, you battled the other, the tribe next door. Um, and then we stopped doing that quite rightly. And they said, we better do some sport instead. Otherwise, there's nothing to do. And people shy away from that because they think, well, I'm never going to be the fastest at park run. So I don't like the idea of competition. Don't need to be. Don't need to be. Just go running a few times a week. Before you know it, you'll be faster than you used to be. You'll look around and think, do you know what? I stack up all right here. And that's just a nice way to live. And so I, I, on YouTube, I do things that try and demonstrate that. Um, and occasionally for fun, do fun things as well. Um, try and demonstrate what people right at the top are doing and how it's um, fun to see that level. You don't need to be that. You don't need to be whatever, Kipchoge, marathon runner. You don't need to be him. But it's fun to see what he can do just as a laugh. Well, yeah, you, you, did, the, you did the Kipchoge video where you basically tried to run as fast as Kipchoge for yeah. what, just as long as possible, was it? Yeah, the Kipchoge video is a good example because the Kipchoge video, which has been emulated by a couple of other people, and in a way they've kind of got it wrong because the Kipchoge video, in essence, the video is basically saying this is how fast Kipchoge ran when he did the world record marathon. And when you watch it on TV, you just think, oh, he's jogging along. But he's not. He's running at a pace that most people simply couldn't move at. They couldn't. They couldn't see him come past and keep up with him for 100 yards, 10 yards. So I thought, I'll go in the gym, I'll run on the treadmill at that pace. My treadmill didn't go that fast. I had to go a bit slower. I went as fast as it would go. And people will see that that is rapid running. Uh, and I did it for two minutes and then I was out. So two minutes, two hours. But that's, so that's what the video was about. But actually, the bulk of the video wasn't that. The bulk of the video was me starting off on the treadmill at walking pace and explaining how when I first went to park run, that was pretty much what I did. I was massively overweight and out of shape and I did that pace. And then upping it a, a few and saying, okay, this is now when I did my first ever 10K, this is the pace I ran at and I was exhausted. And so I basically took people through a, a, my kind of progression of running as it had been to me, was as well as the interesting, wow, Kipchoge is fast. People also got to see what they did. They got to better place themselves. So somebody that has no understanding of, of, of Kipchoge's pace, they might know what a 32-minute park run looks like because they might have done one. So 
I'd said, I, my first parkour was 38 minutes. So I started there. So it, it's not just about saying, look at him, isn't he great? It's also about saying, um, where are you in relation to that? To give us some perspective. And also, if you're thinking, ah, oh, that means I'm rubbish. No, it doesn't. I was there. I've, I've, and you can get from there to anywhere along the trajectory that I'm on. And as a six foot six, 100 kilo lump, no one should be holding me up. We'll come on to rowing in a minute. But for running, as, a, as an elite, genetically gifted runner, um, if, I can, if I can run pretty quick, then most people in good health can run pretty quick. I'm not, no one should be looking at me and going, well, of course he's fast. Look at him. On that, aren't you basically pretty close to being two elite marathon runners? Kipchoge's 55 kilos and I'm 100. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, if I fight to the death, if I could catch him, I'd kill him. <laughs> um, but, but uh, and, and you know, it is funny. I mean, this is the downside of social media. It, the amount of people that said stuff like, after watching that video, where I've just explained to you the things to take from it. You know, where are you in relation to him? How great is he? Uh, how anybody can achieve an improvement in their own performance? Those are the things to take from that video. And people would still comment with things like, well, of course he's faster than you. He's half your weight. As though if I were 55 kilos, somehow I'd also be the fastest runner in the world. Or people saying, even more bizarrely, well, you're on a treadmill, that's easier. As though somehow if I wasn't on a treadmill, it would have demonstrated things more clearly that I'm getting this. As, as though somehow Kipchoge's watching. I love the idea that Kipchoge's watching the video thinking, Hang on a minute. <laughs> he lasted two minutes. He should have lasted one minute 50 because if he'd been outside, the airflow would have happened in the video. It, it is quite funny how we, um, I even have a video on this coming on YouTube about how people nowadays seem to just miss the point of, of, of inspiration. You're supposed to watch the Kipchoge video and think, damn it, I'm going to go for a run, whatever your ability. But some people think, damn it, I'm going to write something stupid and that that seems to be what too many people have turned into uh stupid writers instead of um get off your bummers there's there's something in social media that no matter what the post is or what the um what the point of the message is on any platform some some people who comment will actually just take it as a springboard for their own opinion so that they don't engage with it at all they just use it as a platform to say what they were going to say anyway which says a lot about them normally. Um, I mentioned this in a video that I did on, oh, on weight loss, weight loss mistakes that I made. And um, one of the weight loss mistakes I made, actually I didn't, I didn't make it, but I highlighted it as one that I know people do, was listening to other people. So when you lose weight, people say to you, as they said to me, oh, you know, you, you're ill, you, you know, stupid things. And I was explaining that the reason for that is, is, there's a few reasons for it. One of the reasons is that people themselves feel um, that they aren't making enough effort in themselves. And when they see it done in others, they, they rather than saying, oh, you're well done, they, they want to sort of bring you down because it kind of brings them up in comparison. Um, there's a lot of that on, on social media. People will see something inspirational and rather than thinking, wow, he's there, if I can move one higher, I've gone one higher. You know, that, that's, that's me. Instead, they think if I can bring him down a bit, then, then we're closer and, and you're missing the point. That isn't, you're, not, you're supposed to just 
you know, use that to pull you forward. And then when you look at yourself, you've moved forward. That's it. But too many people think, no, I need to just drag that person down to me. And then we're all, you know, overweight 40 year olds living in our mother's basement together. And, and, you know, life is even again. You mentioned there, Mark, about, um, and the reason why I'm bringing this up was because if if a listener was to click onto one of your channels now, you, they, they would see you doing pretty physical things. But this, this um, you mentioned about weight loss and building your fitness back up. When you were younger, in the chat that we had prior to this, you, you were obviously pretty physically capable and pretty fit. Can you just talk a little bit about your kind of, your fitness trajectory? Because you, you didn't basically start running at Kipchoge's marathon pace and start a YouTube channel. This is part of an ongoing journey, isn't it? Yeah, and, and, and it's really easy to summarise. So uh, up until the point where I left being a lifeguard at 21-ish, about 21, to go and go into financial services, I was, I never competed in anything. I think maybe I was on a basketball, local basketball team for a, a week or something. I, mean, I, I didn't do anything serious. Um, I worked in a gym when I was a lifeguard, I, back then they just, they would say, oh, the gym instructor's not turned up. Can a lifeguard go and take the class? There's no kind of, you know, where's your certificate for nutritional qualifications? So you just took the class. Um, so I, I was fit and healthy, but nothing spectacular. And then at 21, I started eating and, and stopped exercising. So from 21 through to probably 35, so just over 10 years ago, I did almost nothing but eat. I would have periods where I'd think, oh, I should start training again or I'll start running, but I would get injured within hours. And I did, I did nothing. I just got very, very heavy. So I got up to 23 stone plus. Um, and people would say, oh, but you're tall. Yeah, not, I'm not 18 foot tall. I mean, there's, a, there's a limit. Um, and so at 35, I just remember thinking, I remember thinking at 35, if I, don't, if I don't sort myself out now, I'm going to get to 40. And if I'm still this weight at 40, life is over. Which was a mistake to think that in that that would be incorrect. So anybody listening that's 40 or 50 or 60, start today. You can turn your life around at any point. But it was handy that I made that mistake because it prompted me to get on and, and, and get back in shape. So very quickly, from 35 and probably to about 37, 38, I just lost huge amounts of weight. I, I just stopped eating, uh, <laughs> almost just stopped eating. I ate very little and ran all the time, uh, very, very slowly, but all the time. I'd go out every night and run for two or three minutes. I say run, 30 seconds walk, 30 seconds run. I mean, it's literally that. But over a period of a few years, got to a point where I could jog 10K. Um, I wasn't heavy anymore. And, and then, and then, yeah, and then, and then progression slowed. It was a very quick improvement. And then my progression slowed and became volatile. I would have periods of time where I wouldn't feel like training for months and I would, I would slip back, never all the way back, but back. And then I'd get back on it again. And I sort of just bumbled along being reasonably in shape. You know, I had to give some sort of numbers on it, for people that understand running numbers. I was probably running sort of 48, 49 minute 10Ks, 22, 23 minute park runs, which are, they're, they're times that mean you probably jog a bit, but you're not, you're not, um, you're not, you wouldn't call yourself a great runner by, by, any, by any means. 
I mean, it's an achievement to do that. So anybody doing those things, you have achieved something. But I was, I was, I was kind of average, kind of an average runner. Um, still better than the average person though at running. And and then yeah, and, and that's it really. And it's only really been the last three years, four years, coinciding with YouTube. That and one of the reasons I started YouTube was that I used it to have some. Uh, and I always forget the word I need to use here. Some not obligation, some uh, accountability. Accountability. I thought, who is watching me and saying, why aren't you working out today? And I thought, well, oh, if I get 100 people subscribed to me on YouTube, then maybe one of them will say, uh, you've not posted a video today on, or this week on going running. What's going on? And I thought, it's just someone to be accountable to. Because your family are terrible people to be accountable to. Because they'll say, no, you look fine. When it would actually be helpful if they say, no, you put on a couple of pounds, you haven't exercised this week, go for a run. That would be useful. Um, but family don't do that. Family typically, unless <laughs> you're a very weird family, uh, not be very useful at, at pushing you out the door. Uh, so that, that, that's it. And, and the things I do now, I do, I just, I do anything really. I, I do all sorts of things that, that basically involve me feeling like I'm using my body. I, I think there's more value in showing people that um, I can have a go at something and see how I get on, rather than just saying, "Look at me doing great." What What can you do? You know, should you be thinking, as some people say to me, "Oh, I can never do one of those races you do in Wales." I could. Couldn't you? Couldn't you really? Could, yeah, maybe you could. It was like. Now, you mentioned things that you would be naturally very good at, and being six foot six, it might be said that you're a fairly natural rower, and you, and you gave this a bit of a crack, which was the, which was the video that I saw, which I've, I've got summarised here as the, sort of the beating Sir Steve Redgrave on his worst day video. How did that go from the point of view of a guy who doesn't really row? So, yeah, in a nutshell, actually, it kind of ties in what we were talking about earlier in terms of how, how YouTube grows. When I did the Kipchoge video, it did quite well. It's, it's had nearly a couple of million people watch it. Um, and it got picked up by all the normal sort of social media channels and, and did all right. So I thought, oh, I enjoyed doing it and it's done well. So that's a direction to go in. I'll do another one of these. So I did a Bradley Wiggins one on the bicycle and did quite well. I thought, oh, I'm, these, these are fun. Um, and people don't really have a very good idea of what elite athletes are doing. They see them doing elite things and just think, you know, they see Steve Redgrave, for example, rowing and just think, actually, you know, how hard is that really? So I thought I'll do him next. And also the reason I did Steve Redgrave was that I do know I can row a little bit. Um, and I can't, and I, and I knew that I got destroyed by Bradley Wiggins and I got destroyed by Eddie Kipchoge. So I thought at least with Redgrave, I might have a chance of doing something a bit more impressive. So I, I forget how, but I came across the information that Steve Redgrave's worst 2K time was 6.15, which he'd done in the run-up to the Sydney Olympics. That was his worst ever kind of proper timed session. Um, I thought, oh, 6.15 doesn't sound a million miles away. I thought I could probably do 6.40 or something. And I was basing this purely on the fact that when I was a gym instructor at 18, 19, I used to use the rowing machine that we had in the gym 
to, to demonstrate to people wanting to use a gym how to use a rowing machine. That was pretty much it. But every now and again, excuse me, myself and my gym buddies would do like a 500 meter race just to muck about and I would always win. So I, I, just because I'm big, no, no, <laughs> no to be proud of, I'm just, just very big. So I knew I could go under seven minutes. And I know some people say, oh, seven minutes is quite quick. And I knew I, knew I could do that. So I thought, okay, I'll try I'll see if I can do 6.15. So before I videoed it, I had a muck about, and I did at six, just over 6.30. I thought, oh, I'm, I'm, and I, that, was, that was the third time I'd used a rower um, since I was 21. So I hadn't been on a rowing machine. I'd used one three times. I think I did a 500 meter muck about with my kid. I did a 124. It was the first time I sat on one in 30 odd years. I then did something else on one, and then the 2K did a, did a 6.30. And I thought, oh, that's really close to 6.15, naively. It seemed really close. I thought, if I get if I could get a bit of training, a bit of advice, maybe I can get close to 6.15, I could beat him. And I then discovered, even more tantalizingly close, that Bradley Wiggins, when he had quit cycling, tried rowing, and did a 6.22. I thought, well, I can definitely beat that. And he's a skinny cyclist, so what does he know? Um, so that, that's that was the challenge. I tried to beat uh, Bradley Wiggins' best, 6.22, Steve Redgrave's worst, 6.15, and failed. Uh, I did a 6.24, uh, annoyingly. And, and, uh, and yeah, and again, that, that really did quite well. It's, it's, it's like 100,000 views. I mean, people, people like that sort of thing. They like, I think it's interesting for people to see... Um, I sum it up best like this. I took my wife to watch uh, a basketball game in New York a few years ago when we were over there. And uh, we're, we're sat in the stands watching and the team's come out as Knicks and someone else. And while they're warming up, the guys are warming up and they're doing dunks, 360 dunks and reverse and alley-oops and stuff. And me and my kids are like, whoa, yeah, this is, this is amazing. We know, what, we know what it takes to get a foot above the rim and throw it down. And Jenna's going, what, what? They're, they're just putting it in the basket, like, what? And they're tall. So, and I had to take her to a local gym when we got home and find a basketball net and, and say, it's up there. You know, you have no idea what, what are you thinking? In her mind, it was just like, they just, you know. So people just have no understanding of, of, of what an elite person, anything is doing beyond what normal people can do. And, and the rowing showed that Steve Regler, I mean, Steve Regler's record be 549. 549. Yeah. yeah. And, and the world record now for, for 2K indoors is, is it 538? 536. Yeah. yeah. Which is, I mean, I don't even, I can't, I mean, I'm, as I say, I'm naturally, I'm an okay rower, but I can't comprehend how anybody can just do a few strokes even at that sort of rate. It's basically all more, all more embarrassing in a way that he was. Um, peeling over and not young at that time. I mean, he was obviously, he was younger than I was when I did it, but he wasn't. He was 30, 36, 37, something yeah. like that. He's a, he's a, yeah, he's past his prime. Yeah. Uh, you think. And, and ill and, and fatigued and, and everything else. And still. Knocking um, out a 615. Yeah. Which is just, yeah, indeed. Which, which, um, would, yeah, I mean, very, very impressive. Yeah. But, but, but the comparative element that you draw there is 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 really instructive because um, I think Loon and I are on record of saying, you know, we, we rode at a reasonable level, 
but we still recognize that what you know Olympic champions do in an Olympic final is is as removed from what we do in a boat as playing a few chords on uh, at home on, on your guitar is to you know uh, performing a violin concerto at, at uh, Carnegie Hall that there are levels and we've all been in a pub when the football's been on and everyone's going he should have done this and he should have done that and there's always someone who goes I I was on Manchester United's books and I blew my knee out when I was 16 and I would have made it and we are confronted by almost superhuman performances nowadays and and actually we should recognize that these are these are ordinary people they're human beings who are doing extraordinary things I'm going to keep doing more of them I've got uh, my next one is um I did a 10k race week so I set a PB for a 10k I did a I think 42 minutes or something um which I was again 42 minutes what I love about these challenges is that when I can put, that's a perfect example. A 10K in 42 minutes will have 90% of the population thinking, good God, that's rapid. I couldn't in a million years get close to that. You don't have, so that's 90%. You don't have 9% of the population who are genuinely fast, who think, well, I do a 35. What, what's, what's the big deal? Mm. Um, although, if they're getting their sensible hat on, still acknowledging that, me with my history and my size it's still okay and then you have the one percent who actually it's probably not it's probably the point one percent who are running um just obscene fast times for whom the other 99.9 percent just can't comprehend i mean, that's the thing about the kipchoge thing when i spoke to guys that are running way under three hour marathons which is elite level marathon run far beyond I could do. Even they will say, "Yeah, we don't know what Kichoke is doing either." I mean, it's just bonkers to us, and that's what I love about it. I mean, the, 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 so my next one is on, on Mo Farah's 10k time, because most people know what a 10k. Most people have done a 10k fun run. They know what that's like. For a lot of people, you do it in an hour. You know, you you, you kind of think, "Oh, mate, I got to the hour," and and Mo Farah's 10k time is I forget what it even is, but it's whatever, 26 minutes or something. So ridiculous. I mean, it's ridiculous. Um, it's a park run time, not a 10k time. Um, so I love that. I love I love highlighting those disparities between even the good and the really good. And the rowing one kind of helped there because I am a good rower relative to, you know, if I go in the gym on any given day, I'll probably be the best rower in there. Um, if I rock up at Leander, I'm probably not, but normal life, I'm pretty good. You, you know, you were talking about that guy who reacts to your videos in exactly the wrong way. That was me. <laughs> Dorking. But basically, I was that guy. I, I saw someone who's pretty much of an age with me doing what it takes me. I have to train 11 months a year just to be at the point where I could beat 624. And then there's someone who just comes along, sits down and goes, right, this rowing malarkey looks brilliant. And I, I was honestly, you know, if, if let's say the 18 or 19 year old you have done that, I'd be like, oh, fair enough. You know, that's, that's 30 years ago. Who knows? It's, it's a, the past is a different country. But the idea that someone else of my age can just sit down and put a 624 and I'm like, 
if I really, really sharpened and I, I did all my long, slow distance and everything, and I, I did all my weights, I might beat you by four seconds. And and so at that point, I, I was like, I, I watched a lot of your videos and just like, right, what's his secret? What's his secret? And and it's like, how how, how is he doing this? What and you know, basically it was one of those, it took me about a week to just go, look, there are just some people who are better than you, move on. It's interesting you say that because there are, um, I, I'm, I, I take my, my distance running quite seriously-ish. So I, I, for example, I've got a 100-kilometer ultramarathon coming up um, September, which I ran last year. And, um, and I know that I'm not, physically suited to running a hundred kilometers in one go, but I, but I, but I'm fit and healthy and I, I kind of figure I should better do it. And, and I watch people doing ultra marathons who, who don't necessarily take them much more seriously than me, but can just do them. And, and, and I, I find it equally, well, actually I used to find it frustrating. I now, immediately detect in my brain that that's what I'm doing. And I just say, whoa, be inspired. And that, that's cool. Because if they got on a rowing machine or we were, it was a deadlift or an arm wrestling competition even, I mean, I, you know, we, we all have our thing. Um, I have enough things that I don't feel that, that it matters. But I, but I understand the frustration. I, I, I say, in the world of running, um, I did Reading Half Marathon last year. I got a one hour 36 for a half marathon, which I thought was... Again, for a big guy, it was all right. And I was getting overtaken with a mile to go by little old ladies. And half my brain is thinking, what on earth is going on? How is that happening? That's obscene. She go, you know, slow down. And half my brain is thinking, awesome. I love it. That's just, there is nothing more inspiring than seeing somebody, for no obvious reason, just just be a human being doing something pretty cool. I just I, I now I now take that from it. I, I I'm a, I'm just happy that, that I, I I'm content that there are people out there genetically gifted uh, in all sorts of ways. That interestingly, um, this is a podcast in itself. Actually, their genetic gifts. Um, you, know, you put, for example, you put my genetic gift of being a big lump and able to row on a bit of a pedestal. But if rowing didn't exist, it would be the most pointless genetic gift. What, what can I do? 10,000 years ago, it'd be cool because I'd be killing people in battle, except I wouldn't because I've got asthma, so I'd be dead. But, but now it's, it's of no value. It's like it's basketball, LeBron James. Everyone goes, oh, I'm genetically gifted. Well, he's, he is, but he's lucky the basketball exists because otherwise... He'd be banging he his head on doorways. Well, yeah, the doorway at McDonald's where he's, he's, he's flipping burgers or whatever, or whatever any else that can't do anything else apart from the one thing they've dedicated their life to do would end up doing. Um, it, it's, it's where sport is quite an interesting one. It's allowed people to say, hey, I, you know, I've got this gift. And you're like, well, you have. You're damn lucky that football exists. Um, because otherwise, kicking a ball has no other real. You know, if you went back hundred thousand years, what do you do? Ah, oh, you want to see if I kick a ball into a net? They'd be okay. Well, that that's a 
zero value, you are a street sweeper, sir, down now on. <laughs> Until they invent football, you'd be like kicking around a, I don't know what, a hedgehog or something. You go, no, 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 can do keep yuppies. <laughs> Let me go, you know, keep yuppies. Don't mean invented yet, mate. Go sweep the street. So, yeah. You're reacting to something that's that's yeah. quite arbitrary in a way. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I, I, yeah. I will be the first I mean, to admit. You want to react to those people that are just happy. They're the people, people we should be jealous of, people that are just content in their life for yeah. no apparent reason. They're the ones we should be looking at going, man, they got it nailed, you know, living in living in a flipping shack on a desert island beach and just enjoying life. Uh, okay, this so gonna... from that point, I was basically watching a lot of your videos. Well, I, I was inspired, actually. But, but you came out with a bit of a, what I thought was like a bit of a big revelation. It, essentially, kind of your relationship with medicine, I suppose. You, you basically said you use testosterone replacement therapy. Correct. And I immediately, so I'll, I'll be very honest. I thought, right, that's it. I don't want to have to worry about his 2K score anymore. Because I'm like that, a, as you a, probably worked out. Yeah, but I also, I also thought both myself and Aaron have been we've been pretty we've been pretty forthright about people who have used performance enhancing drugs. Now we're going to go into the whole put them up against a wall and shoot them. Absolutely, I believe um, was a. I consider takeaway, Mark. So would you like to go tomorrow morning or do you need time to put your affairs in order? Yeah, we've never spoken to anyone who has used anything that's on the sort of like the properly banned banned list. So for instance, exogenous testosterone. And I thought, well, here's this guy who's unlike 99% of the rest of fitness YouTube. Yeah. You're being completely honest about the fact that you take shall we say, a bit of support. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. and basically, I, I thought, well, we should probably talk to this guy because we've never actually talked to anyone who's, like, done that. You know, the really big thing, I mean, it's, it's been brilliant so far, but the really big thing I wanted to talk to you about is testosterone replacement therapy, what led up to that and what does it do for you? And most of the point, what doesn't it do? I suppose one thing I should say straight away is that I started testosterone replacement therapy at the, I started exploring it at the end of 2019 and started on it at the beginning of 2020. Um, and I put my, um, my video up on using TRT uh, around, I think, it was, I think I'd got to 5,000 subscribers and it suddenly dawned on me that, that and I had no, I didn't, I wasn't even monetized. I didn't even turn on monetization. I was making no money from YouTube, but I did have enough people following that I thought, um, I wonder where this could go. Maybe I could one day have 10,000 people, maybe. And what I didn't want was 10,000 people, my perception was that that would mean a lot of comments would naturally be flowing backwards and forwards. And I would find myself having to deal with the comments I see lots of people in the fitness YouTube world dealing with. Primarily, you know, what, what drugs are you using? Because it looks like you use drugs. And, and most of them do, or, or a lot of them do, a huge number of them do. 
and, and, and there's almost no reason why they wouldn't as we come on to. So I didn't want to, I didn't want to get into that situation. You, you, you do one of two things, you either lie um, or you stay very quiet about it and you ignore everyone mentioning it. Those are the only two options. I didn't want to lie. I didn't want to lie because I'd been, because it, it, I wasn't bothered about using it. So for example, I'd been all over the Facebook forums for TRT users getting advice and help, and I'd be very publicly, I think I might have even used a Reddit sub-forum for testosterone replacement therapy. I, I'd been seeking out advice and information, like anybody would, really. And so it would have been very, very easy for somebody now, if they wanted to, to go and find an old post of me talking to somebody on a, on a forum about, about using stuff. So it, it wasn't something I'd ever hidden. Um, so I thought, lying about it, it's just dumb. I'm going to get caught out. I don't really want to... Why should I even lie about it anyway? I used asthma inhaler for my asthma. I use contact lenses for my eyes that don't work. This is just something else that, that does that. So I did the video then. I actually did three of them. I did three testosterone videos. They're on YouTube. There's even a testosterone replacement therapy playlist on my YouTube account. I discuss it openly whenever someone asks in the comments. Um, does every single person that watches my YouTube know? No, probably not. But I kind of figure that I've done, I, I kind of don't care. I mean, because what's the alternative? I mean, do I, do I rename the channel Mark Lewis in brackets, testosterone user? Do I produce a sort of an annual update video saying, yes, I'm still using testosterone. And by the way, I'm also still a vegan and all the other things that people ask about. People ask if I'm a vegan still more than anything else. Um, Ironically, they ask if I'm a vegan to say, and then say you should be, you'd be so much in better shape if you weren't. I, I kind of make your mind up. Am I, you know, performance enhancing or, or unenhancing? Um, so I, I kind of feel that I've done enough in terms of telling people that I use it. The information's out there, and I do these podcasts. I've done others. Happy to talk about it. So that that's just just just. So when you say there's a revelation, I didn't want people to think that I'd suddenly, with almost 100,000 subscribers, and now making a living doing it suddenly come out and told people i did this before i earned a penny um how did i get onto testosterone replacement therapy i when i lost a lot of weight during that period so from my 30 mid 30s onwards i thought as i got in shape i would feel better physically and mentally i wasn't i wasn't um i i'd hesitate to use the word depression because that's obviously a a clinical diagnosis and I've never been clinically diagnosed as depressed and I don't want to sort of put it alongside people that, that are they obviously have their own solutions to, to, that aren't my solutions but I felt I felt depressed um, and I thought well, I'll get in shape I'm depressed because I'm fat and then I wasn't fat and I thought well maybe I'm depressed because I'm not very fit and then I was fit and I was still depressed and I kept thinking this is this doesn't feel right. You know, I'm, I'm now, all the things I thought would solve it um, have been solved, or at least are moving in that direction. I don't feel any better. And sometimes that, and I'm going to use the word depression because it's the easiest word to use, that depression would be significant enough to throw me off for weeks at a time. I would have maybe a stupid argument with my wife about I couldn't even tell you about what. I mean, it would be about something bonkers, you know, what we're watching on TV that night. And it would 
turn into me basically staying in bed for a few days, not doing anything, not doing any work, not doing anything, just being miserable. And then not wanting to train and thinking, I just don't want to get out of bed. I mean, it sounds, people have said, oh, it can't be that bad. It was literally that bad. I, I lost days in bed at times thinking, what am I doing? Get out of bed. Stop eating digestive biscuits in bed. Get, get out. And, and I couldn't. And then, and then I'd come out of that and I'd be back on it again. And, um, and I kind of thought, well, maybe that's just, maybe that's just life. Maybe that's just me. Maybe I'm just a bit of a miserable person. Um, and, and c'est vie. And then in 2018 and 2019, my wife started keeping a little journal on her iPhone of arguments that we'd have because she was worried that we were losing days adding up to weeks um, for no good reason. And she showed me towards the end of 2018 and said, do you realize that when we add up all the arguments that you've primarily been the, the instigator for, we've lost, um, we've lost like a month of just you being an idiot. Yeah, what's going on? And we went to, we did all the normal things. Marriage, got me right married, but couples counseling, all that sort of stuff. Um, and, and I went to the doctor and the doctor said, yeah, you need some depression medication, take these. I never took them because I didn't, I didn't it just didn't, it didn't click. I didn't feel like that was the solution. So I went into 2019 just thinking I've been in good shape now, relatively speaking, for a long time, relatively speaking. And I still feel lousy, lousy. And it is now impacting on people around me. Um, it's impacting my business. Everything is, this is not right. And I forget even who it was. Somebody said to me, um, your testosterone levels might be out of whack and that can cause moodiness. And I remember saying, really? Testosterone, hormones, moody? And they said, yeah, who are, who, who are the moodiest people you know? And um, teenage boys are the moodiest people you know. And that's testosterone, hormones. Um, and without kind of um, opening myself up to getting myself cancelled, um, ladies on a monthly basis will also occasionally have at least swings in mood. And again, hormonal, we think, we think nothing of that. It's, it's simply an accepted part of hormones moving around. Um, and yet when men get to a point in their life where naturally their hormone levels do start to decline, I mean, that's simply a medical fact, um, we don't put the two together. It, it seemed, with hindsight, looking back, it almost seems odd that we don't, but, but we don't. So anyway, I thought, okay, maybe I'll get tested. So I got tested, simple blood test, and my levels came back as being low, relatively speaking. I think I, my first test, I was nine nanomoles per litre. I mean, to give you an idea, that, I mean, that's low. I mean, the, 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 the easy comparison that's easy to make nowadays because it's in the press a lot, is that when somebody is transitioning and you have trans athletes, one of the criteria they use is that they need a male transitioning to female needs to suppress their testosterone levels to 10 nanomoles per litre or less for a period of time. So it's part of that metric. Uh, it's still far higher than a natural woman would produce, but it's clearly low enough for, for that criteria to be met. So when I was getting results, and I did a few that year of eight, nine, 10, I think 11 was my highest. Um, 
I could see that that was not high on the scale. And I thought, well, this is, this is worth exploring because if the solution is as easy as fix this, then that's the solution. And what's the downside? There is no downside. I'm not a competitive athlete. I'm not a famous YouTube fitness influencer. At the time, I was a, I was a, not that I'm much more now, but I was a nobody. Whatever the medical solution is, that's the medical solution. So I went to a, a private clinic because all the research I did said the NHS is not great at this at the moment. Um, I did a lot of research on what the Americans are doing because the Americans are ahead of the game on this. Although not necessarily, they're ahead of the game. They're not necessarily going in the best direction, depending on your, but, but they're certainly ahead of us. Um, and yeah, went to a great clinic and they did tests and said, yeah, no, your levels are low. There was a whole host of other tests to make sure that they're not low for some horrendous reason, like you've got some sort of pituitary gland tumor or something that's going to be a far bigger deal than um, feeling moody. And there was no reason for it other than low. And it was a bit frustrating because I wanted to be told the reason it's low is this. But there isn't, that, that doesn't exist. And it doesn't exist for many things. No one ever told me why I'm asthmatic or why I'm short-sighted. The optician just said to me glasses one day. She never said, and here's why, just tough luck. But that's pretty much what the doctor said. He said it could be, it could be all sorts of things. It could be anything that historically screwed with your hormones. Uh, a classic example is people that do abuse drugs when they're younger so a lot of guys that took steroids to bodybuild find themselves ending up on trt in later life not me i've never done that in fact i never used drugs at all nothing i mean i was boringly boring um so it wasn't that he said being massively overweight will throw your hormones out of whack and you were that for years could have been that i've been through a um i'm not sure if, um, if there's a good divorce, but I'd, I'd not been through one, if there is, it'd be a tricky divorce. So that was stressful. Um, and issues around that um, had, had, yeah, been <laughs> stressful. So, and that can cause hormonal um, imbalances because simply being stressed is a hormonal response. And I talk about this a lot. Um, stress is supposed to be, there's a saber-toothed tiger the stress is going to help me fight it to the death or run away. And in 10 minutes, stress can go because I've dealt with it. I've either been eaten or I've escaped. That's what stress is for, adrenaline and all those things. That isn't what we do with stress nowadays. We take stress when the bank statement arrives, we can't pay the mortgage, and the stress doesn't go away. It's with us all year long, or we get divorced. It's with us for five years or whatever. And, and so the impact on your body, who knows what the impact on your body is of having those hormones racing around you, not for five minutes while you run away from something, but for five years. Who knows? So whatever the reason, he said, yeah, your, your hormones are, are, are bad. And the solution is you simply replace them. Testosterone replacement therapy. Uh, you inject a little bit of testosterone every day to bring your levels back up to where they would be if they weren't low. And I said, well, let's give it a go because what is there to lose? It's not particularly expensive, but it's about the same price as my protein powder that I was taking. Um, started, had a few months of not really, nothing really happening because what happens when you start is that your natural production, what there is of it goes down because your body goes, we don't need this anymore. So that goes down. You're taking, so initially you're here, you start exogenous testosterone, so now you've got both. 
got a lot, then your natural bit disappears. And then this is now not enough. And so you have to play around with this level. And you spend months basically working out where you want to be, uh, in the UK at least. We typically in the UK, you start quite low and they build you up to where you feel good. Um, America, sometimes a bit different. They start people a bit higher and, and often leave them there. But the way America does it is a bit different to us at the moment. And within six months, I was, I was feeling good. And, and yeah, and, and, and it coincided with that filtering through to everything. My relationship became um, the amazing thing that it should have been. There were, you know, that's, Jenna doesn't keep a list of arguments anymore, I think, because um, we don't argue much. And when we do argue, within 20 minutes, I go and say, do you know what, I've been an idiot. And, and we let's stop arguing rather than going to bed with a packet of biscuits. Um, I, I, I turned YouTube into what it's now become because I was motivated to get up every morning and crack on and do something. I felt like I wanted to do stuff. Um, uh, my, my other business equally, I mean, everything, my children, my relationship with my kids, walking the dogs, I mean, everything just got done. Um, I bought whiteboards. I mean, it's, it's, it really is that. It's just, I, I wake up every day most days feeling let's crack on let's get something done today that i'm 48 I'll, I'll be dead not a million miles away let's not waste uh, a moment um and all the benefits that i hold up as being significant to me are those they're not physical there are physical benefits we can talk about them but the ones that that are that i couldn't do without all mental um which has a physical benefit as well because when i wake up at five in the morning and think let's get it done today part of getting it done is going to the gym so there's a knock-on effect obviously i don't get fit lying in bed with with biscuits um so there, there's a knock-on effect but yeah it's all it's all mental um for me so let's just just to reinforce that because I, I can I can already sense that some of our listenership would be going he's taking testosterone you know it's hang him burn him as a witch and all of that kind of stuff there's obviously physical benefits which we can kind of you know come on to but but you'd had this journey where you'd been quite fit and sporty in your youth you you developed uh, eating habits that maybe weren't the best for you you'd moved away from fitness then you'd cut the eating down, still didn't feel great. Well, I'll need to get fit. Then you got fit, still didn't feel great. And the actual, the testosterone that you took, its primary benefit wasn't and appears to continue to be that it gave you the mental clarity and enthusiasm to actually enjoy what you were already doing. Absolutely. Absolutely that. And also I had nothing, I had nothing physical to gain. In fact, I remember sitting with the doctor and saying, um, this makes no sense to me because he said, yeah, your, your testosterone is appalling. Um, he said, you must feel like shit. I said, yeah, I do. I said, but this doesn't make any sense because um, I, I just ran, I just run a, a, a sub 20 minute park run at hundred kilos. You know, I'm, I'm deadlifting 450 pounds. I, I'm competing in Spartan age group obstacle course races. I'm, I'd run at that point an ultra marathon twice just for a laugh. I wasn't, and I was doing things that I thought would be indicative of somebody with decent levels of everything required to do physical things. I was, I was sat in the doctor's um, clinic 
feeling like a physical um, specimen. I, I wasn't sat there thinking, oh, you know, I'm so weak and useless, I need, I need drugs. I thought, this is crazy. Yeah, the, the, I feel great physically. You know, if he told me, go run 30 miles, I'll do it. Um, but I wouldn't do it because I'm miserable. I don't want to do it. And, 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 and he said, yeah, he said, it's not, that isn't it. You know, the classic understanding of the thought of it is people with low testosterone, you're going to arrive at the clinic looking like a vegan. Um, <laughs> I'm not a classic vegan either, I guess. I mean, it's just, you know, it's just these kind of preconceptions. People, people just think that's, that's what that person looks like. That isn't the case. Equally, classic preconception of what somebody on testosterone looks like isn't that either because the average person on testosterone looks like the average person which is a bag of shit yeah mo most people aren't doing it to get in shape they're doing it to fix how they feel so they don't then rush off to the gym and start you know cranking out deadlifts um people say oh, you can tell who's on drugs you can't tell who's on drugs it's like say you can tell who's had plastic surgery you can tell who's had bad plastic surgery or lots of plastic surgery but you can't tell who's had you know, a bit of plastic surgery, anybody can tell he's on a bit of drugs. Um, so yeah, for me, purely psychological benefits was what I wanted, that's what I got. Um, and but the, but there is no question that the there are I have physical abilities, whether I utilize them or not, is almost that's not a thing, but I have physical abilities that I didn't have before. There is no question about that. If I if I wanted to um, get physically big, for example, I weigh 100 kilos. I weighed 100 kilos when I started TRT. No difference. My, all my performance metrics are pretty much the same. I'm a bit faster at running. I'm a bit stronger at lifting, but I was on a trajectory of that anyway. There's nothing, nothing on my path of improvement has, has got better. My ultramarathons, because I don't do many of them, have got worse. Um, so... Yeah, if I went to the gym, if I, if, I, you know, if I wanted to start having 250 grams of protein a day, and a calorie surplus, and give up all my endurance events, um, and just lift weights nonstop, I would get bigger than most 48-year-olds, 49-year-olds could get. When you see people in the magazines, 50 and got a six-pack, TRT, 99 times out of 100, if not 100. I could do that. I could, I'm a, I'm a big guy naturally. Um, I could exploit the, the, the extra levels of testosterone that I've got and go and do that, which is exactly the same as my 17, 18 year old kid could do the same. Uh, he could go to the gym and also get jacked because he's an 18 year old for the testosterone. He doesn't because he's too lazy. I don't because it's just not what I'm into. So I'm, I'm kind of like a car with a 200 mile an hour top speed. I'm not doing 200 miles an hour. I, I, don't, I don't want to. I don't need to. It's not my thing. Um, I could in some areas, like getting big and jacked if I wanted to. Um, I, I, interestingly, I can never get as big and jacked as somebody that is genetically gifted for that and taking testosterone at a level that, because that's the other thing that people don't understand, the level of testosterone I'm taking and most people on TRT are taking is not enough to get you looking like a bodybuilder. It's just not. Um, the, 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 the amount of dosage that I take is, uh, I mean, it, it's almost you know, what, what, what bodybuilders might be taking 
a couple of times, you know, what I take as a weekly dose in total might be there sort of, you know, once every couple of days jab plus a stack of other things. So it's, it's a bit like comparing someone that has a, you know, a glass of wine on the weekend with someone that wakes up and does four beers because they're an alcoholic. It's, it's, it's that level of disparity. But, the, but you're not actually, and Loon, jump in if I'm wrong here, but um, you're not taking this, and this is really important to say this because you, you work in the fitness industry and we've all seen the, the Instagrams and the amazing bodies and Loon and I have talked previously on the pod about the pressures on young men and women to look picture perfect in that sense. You are not taking this for a performance advantage. You are not watching what you eat you are not um doing three sessions of training a day you are you you are not using this to maximize your physicality it's purely putting your levels back where they should be yeah indeed it is i mean it's a it's a very it's a very gray area and i'm i'm the first to say that i am that's why i do these conversations because i'm i am um all i have to go on is how i feel um, and where my moral line is drawn on these things, and I'm also happy to move it. So, and, and because you know, when you when you start something like TRT, you aren't you, know, you aren't given a a guide as to how you should feel about what you're doing. You're just told you're deficient in this. You feel lousy because of it. This is the solution. Um, you know, why wouldn't you just start that? I mean, if it was anything else, if it was your vision, if you walked into an optician's and said, I'm banging into things, and they said, well, glasses, mate, you'd go, cool, I'll have some. Um, you wouldn't then worry about whether the person that hasn't got glasses feels you're cheating because you're, you know, avoiding lampposts. You just think, well, get some yourself, mate. Now, with sport, it's a bit different. And with social media, it's a bit different. But but I wasn't in that world really back then when I started. The, the YouTube thing is a fairly recent um, escalation. All I thought was, I have a medical situation here that doctors can fix, and my God, they have, I feel great. So, um, so yeah, just crack on with it. The reason, it did cross my mind early on. I did think, oh, do you know what? I, I, I could now go to the gym and train in that way and get jacked and be this sort of, Six foot six, two hundred and forty pound monster, but but kind of why? I kind of I, I kind of thought well, that might be interesting to do, but I don't know why. I think maybe I just watched a rock film or something. I was just feeling quite you know motivated by watching the rock, and then I thought actually the reality is that why why do I want to do that? I mean, it's a bit like talking earlier. We're about talking about, talk about what, what's the point of being you know, a kick a football nowadays? Slightly, what's the point of having whatever massive? deltoids oh you know that's handy convenient um so i i quickly got over that and and yeah so so i don't i don't exploit what it can do but there is no question it has a it does have an impact on everything i mean the, the things that it, that it does mainly um it, it it helps with strength obviously because it's testosterone and it helps with recovery those are the two main things now, the sports that I do most, all this, running, um, testosterone therapy doesn't help with running. Um, as I say it, I know someone's going to go, well, it, it does. The, the, help is, the help is negligible. The way I look at it is this. Um, as a sports person, you have a kind of a graphic equaliser for 
people that remember those of of attributes and some of those will be luck some of those will be your genetics some of those will be your training your sleep your nutrition your hormones there's a whole bunch of them i had everything turned up to seven my hormones were a four now they're an eight maybe um am i am i beating a guy who has also got a bunch of sevens and arguing that because he hasn't got the eight yeah maybe but then if i'm if my sleep and my nutrition is off i'm now seven seven four four seven and the eight testosterone can't compensate for not getting sleep and not eating right and nothing is at 10 i'm not working at max the reason drug abuse in sport is an issue clearly is because at an elite level everyone's turned up to 10 and the next guy's got 11 on one metric he's going to win that that's it i and as an example i could stop taking trt today that metric on my graphic equalizer plummets back down to a four i could turn everything else up to nine i could train like an absolute beast and on any physical measure i will be improved in 12 months time um i simply could be i'd feel lousy somebody would need to bet me a huge amount of money that I couldn't in order to make it worth my while, but I could do that. If someone said to me, um, you only did a 624 row because you're on TRT, I would say, no, that's simply not the case. I sat on a row four or five times and did it. If you think that's what poking yourself in the arm with TRT does, you're, you're bonkers. Um, I'll come off of it for a year and I'll row 615. I just will because I'll turn everything else right up. And I, don't, I just don't operate at that level normally. Equally, um, anybody else that thinks they could row a 624, but they're currently rowing a 710 or something, you can, you can inject yourself with whatever you like. You're not rowing a 624. I mean, people's understanding of what, you know, the, 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 the drug use, like any metric, tweaks things. You know, did you get eight hours sleep? Tweak a little bit. Did you, do you eat and right? Tweak a bit. When you tweak across the board, it makes a big difference. But people are thinking you can just do that one thing and suddenly, you know, and the amount of people that on the Kipchoge video say, well, of course Kipchoge is doing that. Blood doping. Right, yeah, that, that's it, isn't it? He's not an elite gifted athlete. It, it's, it has to be, there has to be some metric that somehow he's turned up to a thousand and that's the only reason why. I mean, people just, they, they get it wrong. Where it does work like that is in bodybuilding and strength. In that little tiny world, fair enough, if you crank your levels right up and you have perfect genetics to be receptive to that, then you will be Mr. Olympia, world's strongest man, whatever. In that world, it's a bit different. But in the world that I move, running ultramarathons and stuff, if somebody wants to tell me, well, you came 100th in that ultramarathon, you should really have only come 102. Um, then then, then they're, they're nuts. Um, that, that's, well, I say they're nuts. They can have that opinion, but it's not an opinion that I give much concern to. Um, the rowing, I, I, I do morally draw a line. I would never compete in a rowing competition because I have places where I draw the line depending on the sport. And I do understand that rowing is a strength and power-based um well it's not fair of me i don't think to say i'm a good rower naturally because i'm a big lump take something 
that I could use to become a bigger lump and then not argue that, and then, and then argue that it's having no impact. Um, that would be, to me, that, that would just seem wrong. So I would never compete, for example, at any, I wouldn't, I wouldn't compete at any rowing event. Um, I'm happy to jump on um, a YouTube video and muck about. That, that's not, I'm not cheating anybody there, I don't think. Um, well, Sir Steve never contacted me and complained. Um, <laughs> Uh, he might be sat at home now writing his, writing his email. Um, maybe if I beat him, he would have done. Who knows? Who knows? Um, so I do, I do draw the line in some places, but um, but uh, I, I think that um, I think that I do. You know, with YouTube and, and 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 competing the way I do in the events that I do, I do more good for people seeing that and being motivated by that and going off and doing their own thing than I do bad for upsetting people because they think I'm now angry because the only reason you've got a 19 minute six park run is because you're on drugs. It's not why I've got a 19 six park run. But I do appreciate some sports, rowing is one of them. It's a very easy, um, it'd, be a very, it'd, be, it'd be easier to, to highlight advantages it gives me, even if I don't use them, even if I don't, if I don't exploit them. And the biggest one that everyone mentions all the time is recovery. If you, if you, you guys go out the weekend and get drunk or just stay out late, party, the next day, your test levels are going to be low. That's what's going to happen. Mine won't be. Mine will be normal because they're normal every day. Uh, if you train incredibly hard, the next day your test levels are going to be low. Mine won't be. They'll be normal every day. So... I have the ability, if I wanted to, to go out and get drunk every night, train like a lunatic, and still be able to carry on training. And if I was doing that, it would be quite fair for people to say, you're gaining massively from taking testosterone. Well, I'm not doing that. I'm training fairly modestly. I mean, today I did, what did I do today? I did an hour's gym session and then an hour and a half in the sauna. Um, doesn't seem particularly high level of training. And I don't go out and get drunk. If I never drink, I never drink. So, um, again, something that I do because I think it just makes me fitter and healthier. So I'm, I'm kind of ticking the right boxes without having to rely on, on, on that illicit box. Um, so, again, it's another thing I could do but, but choose not to. When do you feel that what is a therapy is like it's becoming obvious that okay you're not using this as a therapy you are using this as kind of a an aid a purely okay it's as simple as this and and this is as simple as it this is the best way to describe it and this explanation will leave you just thinking well we're, we're all side up then because we, we don't know what we're going to do at one end of therapy you've got people for example who have uh, let's say testicular cancer and therefore aren't producing their own testosterone okay i'd be surprised if anyone's going to say don't let that guy have test injections okay um if you are saying that you, you're you're an evil scumbag so so stop saying it so at that end you've got pure therapy that person um can clearly demonstrate a need you've then got along the scale um, people like me who have been diagnosed as having low levels of testosterone for whatever reason uh, and, and, and are demonstrating 
uh, symptoms consistent with that that are that are life um, damaging. I, I believe that, and again, who, who, who would have a problem with that? I mean, if you take sport out of the equation, who has a problem with that? I mean, quite frankly, if you're over 40, 50, and you want to take testosterone and feel great, who's saying, you know, in isolation of that individual, who's saying no? There are issues with, what does it then mean for kids and social media and so on, but that guy, therapy. You then have a jump. Let's, let's leave that for a second. Let's go over here. You're Mr. Olympia, you've got world's strongest man, uh, young people taking massive, massive amounts, relatively speaking, to achieve a level of physicality or strength or, or whatever it is that is simply off the charts. That's not therapy, okay? And everything else is just in the middle. Um, that That's it. And where the hell does that leave you? Yeah, God knows. Because... For example, if I, I have a prescribed dose of testosterone, I'm prescribed and I take it. And actually, for me, I'd stick to it because the minute I go above it, if I got close to what some people are taking for prescribed levels, I'd have side effects. My skin falls apart. I look like a 15-year-old kid. So I, I'd stay where I am. But I could take more. The way you're prescribed the medication, it, it's no different to... I'm, I'm prescribed inhalers for asthma. Two puffs when I need it. If I sat here now and took 100 puffs, no one can stop me. It's not too dissimilar to testosterone. I'm prescribed the drug, and I'm then assumed to be taking what I'm supposed to. But I could jack my levels up if I wanted to. Um, is that still therapy? Because I started it for therapy, but is it is it now therapy? There's even a term which is horrendous. It's thrown about, though. Sports TRT. What the hell is that? It's basically people who start on TRT for, TR, for therapeutic needs, but then they, they let their dose creep up. To give you an idea, I take, what am I taking? I think I'm taking, I, I, I only pause because I take it daily, so I have to break it down. About 125, 130 milligrams testosterone a week. I, I take it daily for consistency, but 130. A lot of Americans start on 200. A lot of guys over there are on 250, 300 milligrams a week for therapy, double, more than double my dose. And their argument will be, that's what they need to feel good, okay? And quite frankly, if they're not competing at something and they feel good, then who's complaining? You know, if I needed four puffs of this to be able to breathe good, who cares? If I, who cares, literally? So that's that. Now, some of those guys will be heavy gym users and they will get some pretty impressive physical results as a, as a, as a result of having i mean i don't know what their their levels of testosterone would be at that sort of you know taking 300 milligrams a week high and then there are guys who say no i'm on therapy i'm taking therapy levels but summer's coming up so i'm gonna i'm gonna blast a bit and they do cruise and blast they'll cruise at trt levels and then they'll blast for 12 weeks. So it's a very high dose. They'll get big and jacked for the summer. They've got a little bulk on. And then they go back to TRT again. Is that therapy? Is that is that is that therapy plus? You know, it's and, and then obviously you then throw in sport to that, or you throw in they're a YouTuber that's promoting a protein shake, and they're not telling you they're doing it. That's the middle where it gets murky as hell. So I can tell you 
who is um, using lots and quite frankly, who cares? I don't care that Mr. Olympia takes gigantic amounts anymore than I care that The Rock is on steroids. Uh, good, take as much as possible. I want you to look cartoonish for movies. You're not hurting anyone, you're entertaining me, crack on. I know the guy that, that lost his testicles to cancer, clearly sought him out with every therapy going so that he is um, healthy. I know those two ends. I'm uncomfortable where I sit down, down that end. Um, and then the middle is just a, is a mess. And it's going to get worse and worse and worse because in 10 years' time, we'll be where, well, I say worse, some people might say better. In 10 years' time, it will be fairly commonplace, like it is getting in America, for people over a certain age to just say, not quite feeling it anymore, I'll jump on TRT. They'll watch you know, one too many Joe Rogan podcasts and think that that's, that's the way. Um, and again, is that wrong? I mean, forget whether you've got really low levels. If you are 55 and you have just slightly low levels, because naturally at 55 you will do, and the doctor says, take this, you'll feel 25. Why not? And I mean that with a big question mark over it. I don't, I don't mean they should. I just mean it's, it's a debate to have. But of course, if you've now got everybody over 55 that was a bit low, now not low, what does that do for age group sports? What does it, what does it do for, for, for watching? I mean, we're already there. When YouTube, you watch somebody on YouTube saying, take this protein um, look like me, we're, we're already there. That's just that's just nonsense. That, that's just, I don't. It's up there with the girls that used to get in trouble for saying use this hair conditioner, and then being found out having hair extensions. In. I mean, it's, it's that, in my opinion. Um, so we're already there in that in that world. You guys with your sports, yeah. If you go to an age group row in now, even um, if there's a hundred guys there over 40, some of them are going to be on TRT. And if they've got no social media presence, not going to have told anybody, why would they? You, you won't know. Um, they feel great. Should they tell you? I mean, it's, yeah. And actually, as far as the rules are concerned, do they need to tell you? Because the UK anti-doping rules are that if you're a non-elite athlete, you can compete and if you get pulled for a drugs test and you're above on anything, you then have to apply for a therapeutic use exemption certificate retrospectively, which you'd probably fail because it's quite hard to get one. But you're not going to get pulled for a drugs test in the first place. Who at the rowing indoor championships coming fourth or fifth is going to get pulled for a drugs test? I, I genuinely don't know. Do, do people get pulled in the rowing championships? It, it's happened. Well, it happened at the world indoors, which, which again is, I mean... It, it's not like some big event like the World Athletics Championships. They hire a basketball court or a velodrome for the day. They stick a load of rowing machines in there. Um, but someone did. So... A small room. Uh, uh, we, we, British Championships, uh, people running around peeing in pots at the British Championships. Well, you're, they, they might test the elite, but, but if you're in an age group and you're like... You know, 
there's a hundred competitors and you come in the top 20, they're not, they're not going to pull the top 30 and check them all out in the, no. you know, in the no. 35 to 44 category, are and they? And in some places, in some sports, that makes sense. For example, the, the, the London Marathon is run by UK Athletics, presumably. It's, it's, I mean, it's drugs tested. If you win the London Marathon, you're probably going to get popped for, for a test. Hmm. They aren't testing the guy that comes 7,000, which would be me if I ran it. Because, because why? Well, it'd be bonkers to do that. So, Again, it's this crazy sliding scale. At one end, you can see why they don't bother testing people down there because, quite frankly, um, who cares? If you, you know, some old bloke you know, raises a grand for charity and runs a London Marathon in eight hours, inject what you like, mate. We don't care. But if you're coming third in your age group at the rowing indoor, indoor you know, the British Championships, you're probably not going to get tested, should you? I mean, it's a... Yeah, I mean, it's it, lucky in a way I don't not, not rules I have to implement or make or worry about because I don't, I don't I wouldn't do that sort of event. I think the the interesting question though is you you mentioned before that America is ahead of us in this and you you were very you're very definite in saying it's ahead of us but that doesn't necessarily mean that it's better. Um, you know, America has that, you know, fix anything, whether it's just, you know, your teeth, your hair, your, your, you know, the bags under your eyes, whatever kind of culture, you can buy it over the counter. Um, you know, it's all part of the American dream, but they're, they're ahead of us. This therapy you've said is not something that the NHS is, is up to speed with in the same way, or it doesn't tend to prescribe as much outside of, um, maybe health issues like tested. No, anecdotally, they're, they're appalling. The only, the, I mean, there are there are examples where somebody will say, "No, my, my GP was amazing," but that is that's that's lottery statistics about to happen. It typically yeah. is the case that they they are behind the loop. But your expectation is that over the forthcoming five to ten years, this sort of therapy, as other therapies are becoming available in this in this country, like uh, ketamine therapy for uh, trauma processing and that sort of thing, this is going to become more and more prevalent. And there might well be a time when we are, you know, lining up at Rutherford Head Masters category, whatever, or Henley Masters, looking at a boat full of very, very suspiciously fit looking 40 year olds who say, well, it, it's therapeutic. But then you've already identified that you have on this side of the scale, you have definite therapeutic usages and you've been very clear about the advantages, about the benefits, not the advantages, the benefits it gave you. On this side of the scale, you have genuine therapeutic usage, but if you're feeling that good and you are a competitive sportsman who wants to get a bit quicker and a bit faster and remembers being quick and fast, then why wouldn't the dose necessarily creep up when you don't have to tell anyone? Yeah, indeed, but it is, it's going that way. I mean, to, to, to clarify the situation with, with America, because I, I don't um, upset the Americans, it's great that they're where they are because we are only where we are because they are where they are. You know, we, yeah. we, 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 we follow that. There's, there's, there's more people offering it. There's more, there's more clinics offering it. Um, lots of people seem to find they can get it covered by their, their health insurance. Um, it, it's, it's just a fairly, it's just a, a more common experience for someone to be using TRT. They also typically, not across the board, but, but there are many more examples. For example, if you're, on a, if you're on a Facebook group for testosterone therapy users and someone says, I'm on 250 milligrams a week. You're probably talking to an American, probably, because there aren't many clinics in the UK that will prescribe that sort of dosage. And and the Americans will argue, well, hang on, my 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 my, my patient feels great on that. So what's the problem? If they feel good on that, yeah, they, there's a, there's a commonly used phrase which is you 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 treat 
um, you don't treat the numbers, you, you, you treat the, the, the condition. So until someone feels good, you, within reason, keep increasing their, their amounts. Uh, that's, that's a slightly American approach that, that we don't tend to do over here. Um, so that's what the Americans are up to. Uh, and, and there is a very, I'm slightly biased in my opinion because I'm on the Facebook groups and um, Facebook groups are not necessarily representative of everything. But there is a very strong um, uh, influence of, of working out and, and, and going to the gym. Lots of guys on those Facebook groups will be posting, you know, their their um, their progression, how, how they're doing. Um, and when they show, for example, their fat loss, they can't show their fat loss by just standing normally. They'll, they'll be they'll be doing you know front double biceps to show their fat loss because that's just. There is this sort of preconception, and people will say, literally, people will literally say, um, if you start a TRT, you need to get to the gym. Why, why waste it? That there is this kind of, you know, don't waste those gains. And when they say gains, it annoys me as an endurance athlete, because what, my, my endurance gains, my cardiovascular gains, my heart health gains, no, they mean, they mean big arms. So, so seeing where they are, yes, we are probably going to move in that direction, I would have thought. Because what's going to happen is that and it's already happening. People email me every day saying, um, I found, I found, I, I saw your video on, on TRT. Um, and some of them say, you know, you scumbag, I hate you. But most of them say, it's funny because I'm, you know, my, I, I feel terrible. I feel lousy. I've been feeling rubbish from the age of 45 to now 55. And, you know, my, my wife has left me or whatever. And everything, everything's going to pop. My business is falling apart. Um, the doctors put me on antidepressants, but everything you described in that video is how I feel. What should I do? And I say, well, get a blood test because why, why wouldn't you get a blood test? I mean, that would be, be a weird thing not to do. If your car is making a funny noise nowadays, you plug it into that machine, don't you, at the garage? And the garage says, oh, your carburetor is doing something, whatever. I'm not a car person. Go get a blood test. And people will do that, and people will invariably find out that that's a solution. They will, they will get onto it. So the more people doing it, the more people talking about it, the more people will solve their problems like that. So undoubtedly, yes, if you sit down at a rowing competition in 10 years' time, over the age of 40, certainly over the age of 50, you're probably going to be sitting down against people that are using some sort of therapy. And if they want to, they could exploit that therapy to huge advantage. I mean, if I wanted to do nothing but train as a rower, from now, um, I, I could be very, very fast. I mean, saying the obvious almost, I did a 6.24 playing. Um, if, you know, I, I don't train to row. I don't, I don't train to row. I don't do any rowing training at all. I, do, I just don't row. But if I wanted to start rowing, doing whatever rowers do to train, I could get close down to six minutes probably. I don't know where that puts me as an age group competitor, but it'd be... Up there, basically. Up there. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, no. Yeah. I mean, I haven't done that at 624. I, yeah. I, I feel I could, I feel I could get close to six. I could certainly get to 615 if I train. I mean, given that I don't train, that would seem to be obvious. And, and I would knock off the endurance. I'd up the calories. I'd let the testosterone, you know, I'd basically, I'd let the car rev to all the way and would be, and would be beating people that I shouldn't be beating people. That's one of the reasons why I love doing 
running over a mountain the weekend or doing a 100k ultramarathon because there are less people saying to me when I'm coming in uh, at midnight after a 17-hour run that I've destroyed myself doing, oh, it's because of the drugs. But I appreciate if I turned up at the British Indoor Championships and rode a 605, that, that would be a very legitimate claim to, to make. Well, you say that because that, that's actually something that I really want to examine because I will say, and I won't go into any more detail than this, that I believe I have raced someone who was taking some form of, shall we say, androgen support, whatever that may be. There were certain signs Um and I get what you're talking about is a therapy. It was, is he, a, was, he, was he dry scooping his, uh, his pre-workout? <laughs> big shoulders. I don't want to get... Uh, I, okay, yes, there were big shoulders. There were noticeably big shoulders. At the same time, if he was taking that as a therapy, and but, I mean, that's... You know, you're talking about 125, was it nanograms or milligrams a week? 125 milligrams a week, yeah. Yeah, right. That has been prescribed to you by the doctor. You've sat there, you've gone through a six-month process working out, this is what's good for me. Yeah. This helps me live my life. Yeah. Again, we, we, the last podcast we did was about trans women and women's sports. And the thing we, we came down to is like, well, no, we don't think they should really be in women's sport. But at the same time, we don't think that they shouldn't be allowed in sport. No, but there are some things that you just, there are some things you can't do. Um, not everyone can do everything. That isn't how life works, is it? And so if you are, um, I mean, yeah, I, for example, I can't, I morally can't go and, enter a rowing competition um and, and it's frustrating because it'd be quite fun to do that i'd be pretty good um but i i'd morally draw the line there um it would be more useful if some sort of governing body could morally draw the line for me because that would just help but they don't so i have to do it myself um there's I mean, yeah i just i just i i wouldn't feel comfortable going and, and doing that and 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 if you're sat next to someone that is that is using something and is exploiting it to its fullest then they will um i say they'll beat you i mean that's not a given um you know my, they'll, my, they'll my, have an advantage well yeah i mean they'll be yes will they have an advantage over you depends because for example my dad could take testosterone but he won't beat me in a row no matter what he does so yeah. That they will have an advantage. They will be better than they would have been otherwise. Yeah. Whether that makes them better than you or not, who knows? But they will be better than they would have been otherwise. There's no question. And there's nothing that you can do on therapeutic levels of testosterone that doesn't leave you better than you would have been normally. Because although my levels are just bumped up to where they would be normally, it's almost not possible to recreate natural testosterone fluctuations but yeah natural, natural testosterone fluctuations are all over the place you, you, you have a, a tough week your testosterone is going to be rubbish for example what i don't do to re to reproduce it more accurately maybe 
when I go have a night out and, and get drunk, not that I do very often, but when I do, maybe I should take three days of not taking any so that my levels crash down like they would do normally. I and mean, it's as ridiculous as that. I mean, how, how far do you go? For example, if you wear glasses because you're 50, your eyes are not brought back up to where the average 50-year-olds are. Your eyes are brought back up to 2020. So, and that's the same with TRT. You, you're brought back, you're up. People go, I'm just where I would have been otherwise. You're kind of, you're kind of up there. I, my, my levels at the moment bumble along around, they were, they were, they were around 8, 9, 10 nanomoles per litre. They're now around sort of 23, 24. The range typically runs between sort of six, which is why the NHS will often say to people that are seven, you're normal, um, you're not, right the way to about 29, 30. So I'm, I'm upper end. Uh, there are natural people that will be higher, but they're probably few and far between. In the same way as there are natural 55-year-olds, 60-year-olds that have amazing vision. They're few and far between. Most 60-year-olds, even if they got not bad vision, will not have 20, 20. The guy next to them has got bad vision, puts on glasses, is now beating them on sight. That's TRT. You're, you're, when we say we're back to where we would have been, it's naive to think that isn't actually slightly better than where we would have been. Again, whether you exploit that or not, and how you exploit it, and I, I like to think that I exploit the hell out of it by waking up every morning and, and creating something that people tell me all day, every day, is helping them. Um, whenever I have a sort of a moral quandary, I just go through my Instagram DMs and see the number of people that, that day that have said, I'm, I'm doing this, I'm doing that, I'm, I'm running this race, I've, I've got my trainers out of the cupboard for the first time in 10 years, and I feel okay, I, I feel, um, you know, I feel... That's worthwhile. Yeah, you being annoyed when you first, that your collateral damage to my um, mission of positivity. <laughs> Okay, he said, grandly. <laughs> I'm, I'm fairly sure Aaron will tell you that I'm a fairly competitive individual and it's not always the healthiest. Do you want uh, to know how competitive he really is, Mark? <laughs> oh this, is, this is a true story. This is a true story. Mm. We'd been training at Agecroft on Saturday morning. We'd done two outings and one land-based session. We went for coffee and uh, baitui to refuel, and we decided to go climbing at the Manchester Climbing Wall. And I, I managed to scramble up a route uh, uh, by the skin of my, 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 you know, skin of my teeth job, and Lou looked at it and went, no, I'm, I'm not doing that. And I thought it might be some kind of technical thing or some kind of issue. And he went, because I couldn't bear it if I fell off after you just sent it. And that's the point where we went, right, we're going for coffee. This is getting too serious. I, I suffered the same. Uh, I, and and um, when I was, when I was um, overweight, I, I did activities. They weren't physical, but I, I suffered with them. I, for example, I started motorcycling. And I went from just buying a motorbike for fun to doing track days to within a couple of years, turning up a, a track event in a van. I had tire warmers on the bike. I mean, the bike wasn't road legal, it was completely converted to a track bike. And if I, if I was a fraction of a second slower than my PB on that track, I'd go home disappointed. And, and then I took up another hobby. What other hobbies are? I played poker. I did online, I, played, I, I took six months off work and played online poker as a job. Um, and would get gutted if I was, I mean, I basically I took, I, I had this habit of just going to extremes with things. 
if I didn't reach a pinnacle of excellence rapidly, I felt like I was failing. Stand-up comedy. I did stand-up comedy. Within nine months, I was doing it on TV. And I thought, why did it take me nine months to get on TV? And it's incredibly damaging to do that because, because you then are left just constantly chasing improvement in things that you can't possibly continue improving in. What I've got a handle on now is, and it's helped by not, for example, I did that row, that's 624. I'm probably never going to row fast now again in my life. Probably. Because I simply don't care to do it. I don't, it, it doesn't interest me. Unless, unless I thought of a really good reason why I want to. I don't know. If someone said to me, beat it for charity, yeah, maybe. But I, but I really don't care. Um, and yet it's a time that some people, if, it, if they knew they could do it just on a whim, would be like, oh, my God, let's see what I can really do. What I'm more interested in doing is when I go and do my 100K Ultra in September, where I took 17 hours and, and died almost, I want to see if I can do it in, in 15 hours because I know there's some little old ladies did that and, and that inspires me to go and see if I can do likewise. So I've, I've kind of gone from wanting to get to the pinnacle of what I'm doing to now just saying, no, I'm going to plonk myself right in the middle or maybe even bottom middle and just see what I can do. Can I jump? I'm, for example, I want to knock two hours pretty much off that ultramarathon time. That to me is awesome. Knocking two hours off won't make me win it. Frikey, I'll be, I'll still be average. But I just find that more inspiring than can I knock a second off my row? Um, and it and it's I don't know why. I've just I've just got the hang of saying bottom of this sport's ability, the top end of this sport, rather than going in here and trying to get up here, I'm gonna drop in down here. I'm gonna start. For example, this year I want to take up gravel cycling. I'll be, I'll be at the bottom because I don't know how to gravel cycle. I assume it's just like riding a bike on gravel. I don't know. Um, I want to go and do it. And, and I'll be rubbish probably. And I want to see if I do it for a year. Can I, you know, can I enter a race with 50 people and beat 25 of them? That'd be amazing. I don't, I don't need to be on a podium. I, don't need, I, want to get a, I want to get a medal for having turned up so I can stick it on the wall. That's it. I don't, I don't need much more than that. The one exception is I'm doing high rocks at the moment. Uh, it's an indoor sporting event, and I'm I'm going all out on that. But that's more of an experiment to see whether going all out on something really makes a difference. It's more of a little 12-week experiment I've done. I did it back in January. I'm now training like crazy for London in April. Um, where are we now? Yeah, April, end of this month. I'm just seeing whether training like a madman how much difference does it make? There's more of an experiment for that. Um, but even then, I say train like a madman. I'm not exploiting my TRT use because today's a good example. I did an hour and then sat in the sauna for a bit. Um, you ask a pro athlete whether doing an hour's training, which basically involved jogging around the street and then carrying some dumbbells for a bit, is, is pro-level training. Of course it's not. Um, so, yeah, so I hear you on that. I, I, I've, I've suffered in the past from trying to be the best and being depressed when I wasn't, I mean, frustrated when I wasn't. And now I, I love, you know, when I saw my result for the duathlon, 42 out of 160, I thought, awesome. That's awesome. That's, I don't care that 41 people beat me. I, I, beat, I beat a chunk of them.
I really want to talk about this because how did you how did you go from being this this person who would be like really pissed off that you didn't beat your PB on a motorbike to being this guy who thought you know what let's just try let's be in let's do something that's difficult and see if I can make the 51st percentile is that the right way is it the yeah no, that's exactly it. I, and, and, and unfortunately i don't i don't know how um i don't know how but it's i mean i don't know how it, it's a, it's a, it's a bit it's a bit annoying that i can't sort of bottle it because youtube's a good example i have or i will have by the end of the month hopefully close to 100,000 subscribers which when you talk to somebody with I mean, the average youtube channel has four subscribers so it's about <laughs> that's us that's yeah. us yeah so i have more than average but equally there are clearly there are yeah there are kids on their iphones making youtube videos that have million subscribers and when i'm on some youtube forums for um aspiring youtubers and one of the things people moan about a lot is is that they don't have these massive levels of, of subscribers and they, 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 there's a lot of jealousy and frustration that some people do and they don't. And I can see why people would feel like that because historically I would have felt the same. I think, why have I only got 100,000 subscribers? You know, why? Everyone that watches my videos is coming back to me and saying, inspiring, motivating, you know, there's lots of good feedback. What, people even say, why have you got a million subscribers? And the old me would have been like, yeah, why haven't I? What is going wrong with the algorithm that's you know, failing me? Now, I just massively, massively content that I am, I have more than, I am where I want to be. I'm on a progression upwards and I'm just comfortable with it. I don't, I don't know why. I mean, I, I remember going to Pembury motorcycle race track and, um, it cost me probably 500 quid for the day to be there, a day off work, uh, a day off work the day before the prep the bike. Um, rained a little bit, not a lot, but enough that the track was a bit damp, uh, which meant that I knew I wouldn't be able to get a PB because the track was damp. So I didn't go out. I sat in the back of the van with my bike, eating a hot dog, and then drove home afterwards, um, depressed that I hadn't had the opportunity to get a PB. I could have just sat on my bike and ridden around at great speed and had a real laugh, like normal people would have done, like I would now, but I didn't. I um, I just thought, well, I won't, I won't be better than I was, so why bother? Actually, one thing that, that might answer it, when I quit motorcycling on tracks, I took up off-road motorcycling. It was the first time I'd ever, as an adult, gone into a completely new sport activity that I was rubbish at. So I was 30 years old, riding a off-road motorbike across the field, falling off every five seconds. Didn't know what I was doing. Hadn't really done anything completely new to me as an adult. That was the first thing. And maybe that was the thing that I just remember thinking, this is the most amazing fun. Falling off, being rubbish, actually is a laugh. I'm enjoying myself. And I got quite into it. I, I traveled around Europe on, on bikes. Um, and I just, I just developed an ability to enjoy the experience irrespective of of what that added up to um I, I i did some solo travel around africa on a motorbike where i just enjoyed setting off in the morning and arriving where i needed to be at night didn't matter how long it took me didn't matter if someone else was there faster i just enjoyed the experience 
and I maybe I've taken that into everything since. Um, yeah, I, do, I just and also there comes a point where once you're into your forties, I'm nearly fifty. I'm fifty next year. If you keep wanting to be better, you know when does that stop? There is there comes a point where that just isn't possible. Um, there there will be a day where. For example, my park run time is, is above 19 minutes by six seconds. I will run a sub 19 minute park run. I will be faster at some point in the future. There will be a day where I run my fastest park run. Um, I've maybe already rode my fastest road as an adult. So I'm just very content that things move in, in waves of up and then they go down again. It's okay, just enjoy what you're doing. Um, Put in enough effort that you're you're happy with your performance, uh, and a good metric for that is are you better than average? Not because being better than other people is a good thing, just because it's a very easy way of measuring yourself. You can get every single one of these events on the wall would have had a little competitors list afterwards that allows me to go. There was a hundred people who did that paddleboard race. I beat I beat forty eight of them. Bloody hell. I'm going to go back and do it next year and see if I can beat more than half. And I'm happy with that. I don't need to have won it. Um, just doesn't, 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 in, not doesn't interest me. I mean, I, I, yeah, when, I, when I did my PB 10K recently, I won my age group. And it was cool. I got to stand on a little podium um, in front of a duck pond at my local 10K. And um, I stood on a podium. And everyone did a round of applause. And I, and I, and I did a little door biceps on the podium because my kid said it would make him laugh. Um, and I got my medal. And I mean, that, that is cool. But, but equally, I didn't, you know, if I'd have got second place, I wouldn't have, whatever, I don't care. I was happy. I was happy with what I'd done. I felt fit. I felt, I felt productive that day. Um, and even if I'd been 10th, I'm still better at running 10Ks than most 48-year-olds. You know, in what do we have but society to work out where we are? You know, we don't, we're not individuals on an island where there is no metric other than you and a chimp. The only way we can measure ourselves is by looking around. Um, that's, you know, that's what everyone does. You, you, you know, you, you, if you walked out and everyone had the same car, it'd be weird. That isn't how life works. Some people have crappy cars, some people have nice cars. Whether you measure yourself by your car is up to you, but you can do because there is a there is a disparity between everything: your house, your car, your fitness, your health, your, your weight, your strength, whatever. It's impossible not to compare. So, I given given that, I'm happy that the way I do it is I look at the world and I go, "Yeah, I fit where I want to in that," rather than this bizarre notion of no, I need to be in the top something we need people to feel like that we need people that do want that because that's what gives us the olympics that's what gives us entertaining sport but i don't think it's a very healthy way to go through life and look at how many sports people once they stop doing their sport end up a physical mess uh, out of shape because because they don't have the motivation because they're because they can't be number one so whatever what's the matter anymore that's that's sad to see. You see that in American sports in particular. Um, I watch basketball, and the amount, the amount of basketball guys that once they stop just become 
huge, great balloons of people. I, mean, I was watching Shaq on something today. And, you know, I mean, you know that, that would be disappointing for me. If, if, I, if I thought, well, I can't be the best, so what the hell? Um, 50? Am I going to spend the next 40 years of my life just not mattering with what I do because I can't be what I was when I was 20? That's bonkers. Um, what I want to be, I almost can't wait to turn 50 because I'm then going to be in a different age group so I can be in the top half of an easier age group. <laughs> I mean, that good. That's helpful. I want to, I want to look at other 50-year-olds. I first noticed, actually, when I with my kids. I've been taking my kids to school and looking at other parents in the playground. And it dawned on me as I was getting more and more in shape that actually, I remember thinking, looking around the playground, thinking, do you know what? If everyone in this playground suddenly had to run 10K, I'd be fastest. Now, what, what valuable metric is that? I mean, what? It's nonsense. But for me, it just let me think, do you know what? In society, I'm happy where I'm fitting. I don't need to go to a 10K and win it. That isn't, that's not real. I just need to be able to walk out the front door, look up and down the street and think, um, I've said this before, come the zombie apocalypse, yep. if, if half the people are getting eaten, I'm not getting eaten. Whether it's because I have to fight one off with my strength or run away with my speed or outwit them with my charming humour, I'm, I'm above average in all those metrics and I will survive. I don't need to be leading the world in this new post-apocalyptic uh, future, but I don't want to get eaten. And most people are going to get eaten. That's what I do now. In fact, that, that's pretty much sums it up. When all the zombies come, uh, or, I mean, it, it's a serious point. We've just had COVID. At no point during COVID, from day one to now, did I ever have any concern whatsoever, personally? Clearly, concern for others, for society, my elderly parents. Personally, never had a moment's concern. I had COVID at one point. I had a sore throat for four or five minutes, had a coffee that morning, and it went away. I did a three-hour bike ride. Still felt a bit ropey, so I, on my indoors, for your panics, uh, took a test, positive, felt fine. So next day, back in the gym, in my garage, working out still, isolating, felt fine. Never had any concerns. I like, I like that nearly 50, a global pandemic sweep across the world. And I don't like that, but I like that I don't sit and worry. Now, had I been 23 stone still, or God knows what weight I'd have become had I not gone on top of that, and I did, I would have been worried. I'd have been seeing the number of overweight people in hospital, the statistics on people that were obese and suffering badly. And I would have been thinking, oh my God, that's me. That's literally me. What happens if I get this? Am I going to be able to breathe? I'm asthmatic. What, what, where, you know, I'd have been worried. I wasn't worried for a second um, for me in isolation. And that's, that's the zombie apocalypse. That's when, when, when shit goes south, are you able to um, feel confident about where you are in the world? Whether it's with anything, whatever, whatever it is that's going on, are you, are you comfortable where you are? And wanting to be the best is a, that doesn't help me at all. Um, I need to know that I am comfortable. Um, where I am, and I am, um, I, I am. And I, and I, the reason I have all these is that I love going out the weekend. Every weekend, if I can, 
and, and doing something, doing some event where someone says, here's your, here's your little plastic medal um, that, that says you're doing all right. That, that's what these, these aren't winning. Some of, them, some of them are doing quite well, but they're not really winning. They're just someone saying to me, yeah, doing all right. Yeah, zombies won't get you. You just, you just did a whatever, whatever. Windsor duathlon, I did. Um, I did a Windsor duathlon. I just turned up and did my first ever duathlon. Just did it and was above average. Um, no way near the leaders. Couldn't understand how the leaders were going as fast as they did. I was above average. I thought, that's cool. I love, I love that I can just turn up in some things, not everything, have a go and just and think, yeah, that's cool. Zombies, wait another day. I, I think that's a remarkably positive message. I'm, I'm fairly sure I'm going to try and take it on board and fail miserably. But I do think, I don't know, Aaron, that, that seems like a really good note to end on. I think that we've never ended a podcast on on the on the zombie apocalypse. And to be quite frankly honest, every every moment that we spend talking past that point is ruining what is a really sweet ending. So, Mark, thank you very much for your Welcome. time, and um, all the best with you know conquering YouTube. Well, yeah, indeed, that would be um, yeah, that would be. Fun. Well, conquering it would, would be slightly um, contrary to what we've just spoken about. But, but um, yeah, having said that, if I do end up with 5 million subscribers, I won't turn it down. I'll say that.